My friends, today we are starting a new series. The series is called Head, Shoulders, Knees, and Toes. Who remembers that song? Good. You've got four weeks to practice it, and then we'll see how it goes for everybody. But the reason it's called Head, Shoulders, Knees, and Toes is because we're going to be talking about what it means to actually engage our faith. You know, we were not created just to sit here and be consumers of everything. We were created to go out into the world and spread the good news of the gospel. But how we do that is something that is worthy of some of our consideration. So we're going to spend some time talking about how we fully engage our faith. Would you pray with me and we'll study the word together. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity, and we pray that every one of us will find good things to do with it. In your name, amen. So in addition to reading and writing and arithmetic, today's students are learning about something that's called whole body listening. This, it was developed by a speech pathologist named Suzanne Truesdale, and she came up with, with a pretty innovative tool to break down a very abstract concept of listening by explaining that uh, each body part, other than your ears, is also involved in the thinking process. The brain needs to be thinking about what is being said. The eyes looking towards the speaker. The mouth is quiet. The body is shifted towards the person that is doing the speaking. Hands and feet are, are quiet and kept to oneself. Truesdale believes that the most critical part of whole body listening takes place in the brain. She states that when we are asking someone to think about what we are saying, we are in essence asking for the listener's brain to be connected and tuned in. Well, that's a concept that we should really consider when it comes to following Christ. Because you can be sitting in a room with someone and hear words coming out of their mouth, but not really be listening. If you don't think this is true, you just ask any one of our parents in the room when they're trying to get their kids ready to do something. The words come out, but nobody's listening. You can watch a person give a speech, but not actually consider a single word that they say. A good example of this is the State of the Union address. Doesn't matter who's speaking, but I can guarantee that 50% of the people in the room, they're the ones that get caught on C-SPAN, are not paying attention to what is happening. You can be physically quiet and still ignore what's happening right in front of you. So in order to be really connected and tuned into a life of faith, it truly is a whole body effort. So today's series starts with head, shoulders, knees, and toes. We're going to be looking at what it means to engage our heads, engage our brains in our faith. Now, sometimes we get the impression that our heads, our brains, are not really something we're supposed to engage with our faith. And I want to argue quite to the contrary, because our faith is formed by what we believe and then how we practice those beliefs. And we get into trouble when we blindly go about just randomly practicing faith without first grappling with what it is that, that we believe. 
And, and that's most easily seen in something like a cult, where people follow a charismatic leader without critically thinking about what is, what is being asked of them. But the same is true in the lives of everyday, ordinary people who get swept up in something without thinking it all the way through. And Jesus himself asks us to think about our faith. So in Matthew 6, 28, he says, And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. Now I know that you've heard these words before because I have preached them before, um, which is good that we're talking about listening because I know that everyone in this room listened, absorbed, and contemplated that sermon, correct? Okay, all right. See, good that we are following up on this. But let me ask you, has, have you ever done what Jesus asked you to do in this scripture? He, he, he gave you some directions. He says, consider the lilies of the field. He also asks, why, why do you worry about your clothing? Have you gotten to a place where you realize that, that he's talking about more than just your shirts and your pants and your dresses, that he's talking about the provisions of your life, that, that you will have what you need, even if it is not exactly what you want? So, then the question is, why do we worry about it? I mean, if you're honest, can, can you say that you have ever really sat down and, and wrestled with the why? The, the question isn't, what are you going to wear? The question is, why do we worry so much about the what? So to help us with this critical thinking process, Jesus says, consider the lilies of the field. So I'm going to ask you, have you considered the lilies of the field? Have you, have you ever stopped long enough to see the unique intricacies of each one? To look at all of the beautiful colors and the magnificent patterns, there's billions of them in the world, but have you ever stopped long enough to contemplate just one of them? to look at it, to observe it, to wonder what it took for it to bloom just so. Every year I go back and I read The Little Prince. And in The Little Prince, you, you have this, this little man and he, on his planet, he has a single flower and it is a rose. And the rose has told him that, that she is unique. But then he lands on earth and he discovers that there are thousands of roses. And, and at first he's very upset about this because he thought that he had the one that was unique in, in all the world. And then he comes to discover that because he has spent time caring for this rose, watching this rose, he knows that his rose has four thorns on it. He has thought about this. When he gets to that place where he realizes that he has put in the time and the effort to think about this, to consider this, to have this relationship, that his rose is in fact unique in all of the world. So I ask you again, have you ever really stopped to consider the lilies of the field? To see what God did, to see the time and effort and care that God 
put into creation. And have you ever gone as far as, as to translate that into the people that come your way? Consider all the people in the world, that each one of them is unique, that each one of them was carefully and wonderfully made. Probably we don't think about it that way. Now, if you think about your faith long enough, if you work on it, if you wrestle with it, if you reflect on it, at some point it's going to agitate your life. And agitate is, is the right word because when you start to wrestle with your faith, especially over and against things, things like politics, it can be extremely irritating for you and, and somewhat unsettling. So let me give you an example. Do you know that if you're in this country illegally, that you can be a transplant donor? That you can give up a lung, you can give up a kidney to save the life of another person? But did you also know that if you're in this country illegally, you are almost 100% guaranteed not to receive a life-saving transplant? And there's a lot of nuance that goes into this and far more than I can cover, and it deals with the cost of healthcare and priorities and all of that kind of stuff. But I've just given you, I've just given you three sentences, 48 words. That's it. Within those three sentences, if you are truly going to engage your faith brain, you're going to have to consider some very heavy theological and biblical stuff. So some of those questions are going to be, what do you really believe about the sanctity of life? Is it for some, but not for others? Who gets to decide that? Is it contingent upon merit? Can you work for your value? Is there forgiveness for sins? Are there consequences to our choices? Does the value of life supersede the rule of law? In the kingdom of heaven, is there a hierarchy of worth? And notice that all of those things, every single one of them, comes before you even get into a theological discussion on immigration. So do you see, do, do you see why it is that we have to be people who really think very, very hard about what it is that we believe because what it is that we believe is going to inform how we live out in the world. And so do you see when you step back for a moment away from the headlines and away from the politicians and away from the social media and the political parties, there comes a point where you have to critically think about how your faith is going to lead you to respond to these questions. And here's the really hard part, brothers and sisters. Even if we all go and we do all of that work, there is a very real possibility that we are going to come out the other side and still not all agree on the answers to those questions, which then creates another level of thinking that we're going to have to go through, which is how do we treat people in the body of Christ that do not agree with us? What do we do with that? 
because it is impossible to find common ground with someone with whom you disagree if both parties are not willing to put in that time to critically consider how their faith informs their response. Logic and emotion do not usually meet in places of disagreement. Harder still for a lot of us is when our politics or our preferences that have defined us for so long get challenged, get agitated, when we go back to do that heavy work of faith and we discover that maybe, just maybe, possibly, we got it wrong at some point. That's a very hard and very humbling thing, and it can go both ways on every argument under the sun. That's one type of brain work that we have to engage in as critical thinkers. There's another part that we have to think about when it comes to our faith also. It's one thing to think critically about our earthly interactions, about how we treat others, how we interact with discussions of various opinions, but how about our relationship with God? Is there room for reflection, for contemplation, for processing with God? What about the scriptures? Is there more than one way to understand the scriptures? Jesus shows us that there is. It's in Matthew 27, 46, and he's, he's hanging on the cross. And I want to give Robert credit for, for trying really hard with the Aramaic right there. That's, a, <laughs> that's one that should come with a warning. Um, but Jesus is on the cross, and, and he cries out. He goes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and traditionally, most of us interpret that passage as Jesus is questioning God. That, that even Jesus at some point is up there on the cross and he is, he is questioning God. But do you know that that's not the first time in Scripture that those exact words occur? These exact words also begin the 22nd Psalm. And as you look at that psalm, you see in that psalm the, the story of the death of Christ. Jesus knew this psalm. He was, he was a scholar, a studier of the word. And in his hour of pain, he cried it out. Make no mistake about it. This was a time of forsakenness. Jesus bore our sins, and therefore he bore our judgment. And that judgment was the pouring out of the wrath of God. But instead of pouring it on us, God poured it out on Jesus. Well, that speaks to abandonment, that God gave him up so that he could suffer for our sins. So the why part of this isn't really a question about why is this happening. Jesus knew in advance that this was going to happen, that it had to happen. He said so several times in Scripture prior to this. Instead, what's happening here is that he is expressing the horrors of that abandonment. That moment of agony is not up for theological debate. Jesus was steeped in the Word. It was in every fiber of his being. And when his moment of trial came, it flowed out of him the way that it can only flow out of someone who is so deeply, deeply 
ingrained and invested in the mind and the heart of God. That's why you may not have known that these words came from the 22nd Psalm. Because I want you to consider your moment of deepest pain. Would you, in that moment, announce, you know, I think that this would be the appropriate time for me to quote from the 22nd Psalm. Right? That's not going to happen. You're not going to do that. Jesus didn't do that. In, in, in such agony, what will come out of you is the essence of what is inside of you. So Jesus didn't need to give his words an introduction because the words weren't for his audience. They were for him. Did you also know that the 22nd Psalm ends in triumph? Jesus knew that. He, he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. Why is not a request for a theological answer. It's a real cry of spiritual desolation with words that, that were second nature because his whole life was already scripted by God. Jesus was just giving witness to the perfection of God's plan. Now, I understand. I have just unloaded on you a whole lot of information. And I have given you one scholar's interpretation of what is happening here about a single verse in the Bible. There's a lot more of them, by the way. A lot more verses. But I hope that the verse that I picked is one that causes you to have questions. Furthermore, I hope the verse that I picked causes you to really, really, really want to think more about the very little bit that I've been able to cover this morning. Because how you work through this verse will help you to clarify how you feel about things like God's promises and spiritual doubt and the authority of Scripture. And so what I'm saying is that in order for you to really engage your head, your brain, your faith, you need to do more than just be a receiver of words. Because you receive words all day long. All day long, every day. And how many of those words just, just go right on by? They just wash right on over you. I want you to think about a commercial for a second. Um, older commercial, Gillette, the razors for men. And they have that tagline, Gillette, the best a man can get. Okay, you've heard that. Most of you have heard that. Now, is that true? Is that true? Is there really no other razor on the planet that is, that is better for men? Is it the best for all men or just some men? Is it the best among American brands? What are they doing over in Europe? Does this mean that men who have beards can never be at their best, Pastor Sung? I'm just, I mean, these are things that we should be thinking about, right? And I'm not suggesting to you that you need to put as much effort into choosing your razor as you do engaging your faith. But I just want to show you how easy it is for us to just let words just wash right on over us without putting any actual thought or reflection into them. And if you do that for too long on a matter as important as your faith, it can be dangerous. Very dangerous, because when you have not put in the time in thinking through your faith, you leave yourself open. You create a void that it is very easy for charismatic leaders or, 
or political preference or media influence to shape your faith as opposed to the other way around. Remember, we're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. And if we're going to do that, then we have to. We have to sit down and wrestle with the hard stuff and have those hard conversations and go into those deep prayers so that we know what we're doing when we get out there. The danger increases when we become complacent over time. That, that expression, because that's the way that it's always been, can be the downfall of just about anything and does not always provide thoughtful answers to questions of genuine concern. So if we're going to have a vibrant, active faith, we have to engage our whole selves in this endeavor. Born in the heart, starting with the brain. Just think about it, please. Let's pray together. Lord God, be with us. Be with us as we sit down and we wrestle with the hard stuff. It's really easy to let words wash over us. It's really easy to feel like we know the right words to say. But sometimes when you get down in the dirt and the messiness of life, you discover that not everything is so cut and dry. So be with each person in this room as they think about what it is that they believe and how those beliefs are going to inform what they practice. In your name we pray. Amen.